I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jonathan Oberlander, a professor of social medicine and of health policy and management at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Professor Oberlander has written a perspective article on the uncertain future of Medicare's Independent Payment Advisory Board. Professor Oberlander, you point out in your article that because Medicare spending growth has moderated, the IPAB, even if it survives, will no longer have the central role in cost containment that it was meant to have. Others have argued, though, that the spending slowdown that we're seeing is short-term. Do you think that's possible? Do you think there'll be a time when spending increases will ramp up again and the IPAB will become an important institution? I do think spending will ramp up again. There is a lot of discussion right now about whether the slowdown in healthcare spending is permanent. And there are many things in life that are permanent, but healthcare spending is not one of them and certainly not a townward trend. So although it's good news in many respects that we've had this moderation of slowdown for a while now, I don't expect that it's going to continue perennially. So there will come a time when Medicare spending will ramp up again. I don't know, however, if IPAB is going to play a central role when it ramps up. Much of that depends on whether we actually get the mechanism off the ground and whether it still exists a few years from now. Speaking of getting the mechanism off the ground, do you think that President Obama is likely to fill the board's positions with recess appointments? I don't know. President Obama has asked both Democratic and Republican congressional leaders recently for nominations to the board. And I assume that he'll be able to get some from Democrats. The Republican leadership, Speaker Boehner and Senate Majority Leader McConnell, have refused to participate in the process. I think a confirmation process would be very difficult. And if he is unable to get anybody confirmed through the normal Senate process, recess appointment would be one way to go. However, it would be very controversial to do that. IPAB is supposed to be a bipartisan board, and getting it off the ground by appointing only Democrats would not be a very bipartisan way of going about it. Moreover, there have been some recent federal court cases which have really constrained the president's ability to make recess appointments. The Obama administration is appealing those rulings up to the Supreme Court, but in the interim, I'm not sure how likely it is that they want to make a recess appointment and step into that controversy. We'll have to see. Another key aspect of the Affordable Care Act that's not yet been implemented is the state Medicaid expansions. What does the Medicaid map look like at this point, and what's the outlook for low-income Americans, especially in states that are still refusing to expand their programs? The map is mixed. It looks not exactly like, but similar to the map for health insurance exchanges and what states decided to do that versus default to the federal government. And it looks, frankly, a lot like the 2002 electoral map. And if you imagine your red and blue states, you won't have a perfect prediction of what states are doing on Medicaid because some Republican-led states, such as New Mexico, are going to go ahead with it. But you'll have a pretty good predictor. At the moment, there are 23 states, as well as the District of Columbia, who have said they're going to go ahead with the Medicaid expansion. 20 states, including my own here in North Carolina, have said they are not going to expand Medicaid. And about seven states are still debating what to do, including places like Michigan and Maine. For low-income Americans in states that do not expand, the outlook, I'm afraid, is not very good. Because of a drafting error in the law, those Americans who make in between 100 and 138 percent of the poverty line are actually going to be able to get subsidies and go into the exchanges. But beneath that level of income, they're not going to have any option. They won't be newly eligible for Medicaid because their states aren't going to expand Medicaid. They're not going to be able to get subsidies to go in the exchanges, and very likely the vast majority of those folks are going to remain uninsured. We're going to have a bizarre situation in at least 20 
of the states where people who make twenty, thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars a year are getting subsidies in order to obtain health insurance, while those who make below the poverty line aren't going to get anything at all. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Does letting states use their Medicaid money to buy private insurance for their low-income residents seem like a good option to you? It depends how we define good. Politically, I certainly think it's a good option. And of course, Arkansas has been the pioneer in this. And that model is attractive to Republican-led states to states with more conservative political leanings because they can tell their constituents and their donors that they're not expanding the Medicaid program, but they're buying people private health insurance. So politically, I think it's easier in those states to build a coalition to do a Medicaid expansion through private insurance and the exchanges. From a health policy standpoint, I'm not sure it's such a great thing. Medicaid is much less expensive than private insurance. And in theory, one of the reasons states do not want to expand Medicaid is they're worried about the cost to the United States of doing it. Well, if they go ahead and do it through private insurance, that's going to cost the federal government a significantly additional sum of money. I think there are also some complexities to be worked out, and CMS is working them out right now with the Arkansas application, about what you do with cost sharing, where the rules in Medicaid are quite strict, and what kind of coverage they have, and what kind of sensitivity to premium price differences, and so forth. Those folks, fitting those folks in the exchange is not going to be like getting everybody else in an exchange. You mentioned health insurance exchanges, and we've seen recently how much they may vary from state to state. Some are offering many choices of health plans from well-known insurers. Others are giving their consumers far fewer options, some of them unknown insurers. So what should doctors and patients know about their own state's exchanges? Well, I think the first thing to say is you, in terms of exchanges, you dance with the insurers that you brought to the party. And in other words, most states' exchanges are going to reflect their pre-existing structure of insurance in that state. So if you're in a place like North Carolina, where Blue Cross Blue Shield has over 90% of the individual market, it's likely there are going to be a fairly strong force in the exchange. I think, and I hope that over time, in many states, we're going to have more options for health insurance and open up those choices a bit. In the short run, it's it's hard to know how much that's going to happen. From a doctor's point of view and from patient's point of view, I think it's going to be important early on to try and find out what you can about these plans, what kind of reputation they have in other states. Uh, Not all insurance plans are, are created equal. Just because it's new to your state doesn't mean it hasn't operated somewhere else, may have a very good reputation in another place, or maybe not so good a reputation. And so there's going to be a bit of flying in the dark, at least for the first year. Organizing for Action, the nonprofit group that works for President Obama's legislative agenda, has just launched an ad campaign that touts the current benefits of the ACA. What is that group hoping to accomplish, and how important do you think it's going to be to the continuing implementation of the law? Well, I think obviously they're timing this knowing full well that come October 1, people are going to be able to sign up for the exchanges, and there is going to be a massive effort orchestrated by the Obama administration, orchestrated by Enroll America, orchestrated by groups on a state-by-state level to try to get eligible folks aware of what benefits they might qualify for and get them signed up for the new programs. And there's no question that it's going to be a huge endeavor to get eligible Americans signed up, not just for subsidies under the insurance exchanges, but also for Medicaid in the the states that expand Medicaid. So I think they're trying to increase awareness of Obamacare. There was a poll not long ago by the Kaiser Family Foundation where 40% of Americans either believed that Obamacare had already been repealed by Congress or the Supreme Court or weren't sure if it still existed. So there's a lot of educational work 
that's left to be done. I think it's also the case that if you look at the polling around Obamacare, the country is divided and really has been since it was passed three years ago. When it was passed, proponents predicted that over time there would be a tick upward. More people as they came to know the law would support the law. That really hasn't happened to a great magnitude or any significant magnitude yet. And so they may also be trying to move the needle a bit in terms of the favorability of the law going into this open season for the exchanges. But speaking of repeal, the House continues to vote to repeal the ACA. And Paul Ryan recently said that Republicans should be ready to replace it with something else. So what are the Republicans actually proposing? Well, the Republican slogan has been since 2010, repeal and replace. Repeal is a lot easier and a lot more unifying for them than replace. And the House has voted now, I think, 37 times to repeal Obamacare. So where they stand on this is no secret. To be frank, the House Republicans nor the Senate Republicans, neither one has made much of an effort to lay out a significant legislative agenda in health reform, replacing Obamacare. If you look at Congressman Ryan's recent budget proposal for this coming year really is quite vague on this. There are some general Republican themes in there about reducing costs, about encouraging interstate purchase and sale of insurance, about reforming the malpractice system, and even about their own version of exchanges. But beyond that, there's not a lot of meat on the bones yet. And they frankly don't have much of an incentive to do so because whatever they produce in the House, they know it's not going to go anywhere in the Democratic-controlled Senate or as long as President Obama is in the White House. Maybe we'll see something as we get closer to 2016 where there's going to be a change in the White House and chance for a new Congress. But right now, there's just not a lot of specifics in their repeal plans. Thank you, Professor Oberlander.